All right, let's get started. Good evening. Welcome to Pen Talk, the podcast. This is episode number 12. My name is Brendan Penn, and I'm coming to you live from Baltimore County, Maryland. And I hope wherever you are joining us from, you are safe and healthy and comfortable. And we hope that you find this space that we're in together also comfortable and safe. Um, you can, we're going live on Facebook tonight, so you can watch us on Facebook. You can also listen to Pen Talk the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Anchor. And you can go to our website, pentalkpodcast.wixsite.com slash home, and you can listen to all episodes there. Uh, so we welcome you to episode 12, and we are happy and honored to welcome back our first two-time guest, our featured guest, Councilman Julian Jones. Welcome back to Pen Talk the Podcast. Well, thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Brendan. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here, and we are very, very uh, proud of you and all the great work you are doing, and I just appreciate the opportunity to be here again. Appreciate that, and likewise as well. I know that you've been very busy. I've seen you all over social media and local news media coverage, and we have a lot going on. Our feature topic tonight is the police reform bill, 7320, and we're going to dive deep into the different components of the bill and the upcoming legislative work session, which is on July 28th, which is coming up, which is on Tuesday, correct? Yes. Uh, Tuesday. Good. And then we have a vote coming up on August 3rd. And we'll talk more about those components, but I did want to ask you first, before we dive into those, um, we are in a current pandemic in District 4, in our county, throughout the state, throughout the country. Um, what is your message for families, students, teachers who both live and work in District 4 um, related to COVID-19? No, my message is the same for everyone. Basically, um, to protect yourself and be vigilant. Be vigilant in uh, maintaining social distancing. Be vigilant in wearing your mask when you're in public or you're in public places. Uh, be vigilant to uh, limit your exposure by not going to places that you don't have to go. And of course, keep social distance. It's so easy to let your guard down as the economy opens up, but this is where you'll get yourself uh, in trouble. So. My, my, my message is to be vigilant, to protect yourself and your family. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And, you know, as, as educators, Baltimore County has decided to start the school year off virtually. And there was a lot of debates on both sides, whether, whether it was a good idea to let children and teachers back in the school building. And ultimately, right now, we're at a stage where, you know, the instruction will begin virtually. Um, what were your thoughts? And, you know, as you hear from constituents, what do you feel should be a priority for the district and the county as we do virtual learning? I think, uh, I think it was a very wise decision. I think when you look at the number of uh, children that teachers would come in contact with, it would almost certainly be uh, highly likely that you would have became infected. So I think that it's a very smart decision to make. And I think that, you know, those children certainly take that virus home to their families. So I think it was a very wise decision to make. I think that we're going to do well 
you know, the second time around, you're always better than the first. It was very difficult to start up uh, virtual learning with Baltimore County Public Schools, not in a sense of the devices. We were ahead of the curve there. We had already purchased devices for students, but the issue would have been, the issue would have been the instruction. When you have 10,000 teachers, it's somewhat difficult. Yeah, that professional development is very important. I know teachers are really uh, looking forward to that and diving deeper into virtual learning um, to provide a, you know, a holistic experience for all of our students, um, especially with SEL for sure. Um, and so I wanna get into our topic for today, which is sort of the police reform bill 7320. Um, you were here about a month ago, um, you know, talking about how you started to write this bill and, you know, gotten some feedback and some amendments. And so we just wanted to ask, you know, what is, where are we now with police reform bill 7320? Well, where we are now, we're in the home stretches. Uh, it's all going to be over, but the shouting in a week or two. So we have a work session, as you said, on the 28th at 4 p.m. And we're asking everyone. We're asking everyone, if you care about this issue, then here's your opportunity for you to be heard. Then you need to sign up to testify and let people hear from you. Because I'm here to tell you the forces that like the status quo, that don't want change, they are certainly doing what they can to make sure this change never happens. So we want people to testify, make their voices known. We want we want people to reach out to their council persons, reach out to everyone and let them know that this is important to you and that you want it to happen. Uh, basically to put the whole bill in a nutshell, what we're trying to do is simply reduce the likelihood of violence and reduce or slow down the use of deadly force so that when deadly force has to be used, it'll be used in an appropriate way where you don't end up with somebody being shot and killed who did not have a weapon. And, you know, it was only a minor infraction that caused the police to show up in the first place. So these are the things we're trying to do. I think these reforms are needed because it'll be good for the community and believe it or not, it'll be good for the police officers as well to slow things down and be a little more safe. Because one of the things that really I learned a couple of days ago was, you know, police officers, of course we know they have a very dangerous job and it's a very stressful job and I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. So this is not an anti-policing bill, but I think we are at a place where they really need help to, to correct their course. And I'm not sure they're capable of doing it. I don't think they can see the forest for the trees, but there's a lot of officers that did some crowdsourcing that, that I bounced this bill off of, and we made some changes in the past. And a lot of them like every word in the bill. The reason I say it's important to help the officers as well, because if it reduces stress and reduces violence, it may, pro, uh, it may prevent maybe a suicide. What a lot of people don't know is police officers are more likely to kill themselves 
then be killed in the line of duty. I found this information out when I was reading an article at the Washington Post. And it had uh, all the stats on how many people die at the hands of police at numbers like 1,000, 999. They had a breakdown of whether they had a weapon, if they didn't have a weapon, who they were, their gender, their race, all of this stuff. Then on the bottom, it had related stories. There was a story about a police sergeant, a young sergeant who had uh, shot someone and then two months later shot and killed himself. So that stress is real and we would hope that we can do everything in our power to protect some of these officers from having be put in a situation where they have to discharge their weapon only to find out that the person did not have a weapon and then they feel grief and end up harming those. And so with that legislative work session that's coming up, if you would like to testify, you can send an email to countycouncil at baltimorecountymd.gov um, if you're interested in testifying in that work session, which is this Tuesday, July 28th. And so we, we also talked to a couple SRO officers. We had Don Bridges on the show a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about training. Um, how, how do you go about, does this bill address the training and what specific ways does it um, address officer training? Okay, so what the bill, the bill, I mean, training is very, very important. That's the linchpin. So the bill will go into uh, different training that the officer must have every year in terms of de-escalation techniques, in terms of implicit bias and things of, of that nature. But the bill itself, when the bill defines what you must do before you resort to violence or, or, or deadly force, that is going to cause the training to change. That's going to cause the training to change to sort of to back into the bill. For example, uh, what we want to happen, and I use this example plenty of times, there was a guy named Eric Sop in Baltimore County in the last year, November, and the police officers pulled him over, and to make a long story short, the officer was on the passenger side of the vehicle, and the gentleman said, I'm getting out of the car. Well, the police said, don't get out of the car, don't get out of the car, and the guy says, I'm getting out of the car. Well, when the guy opened the door to get out of the car, the officer went around the car to meet him and ended up shooting him eight times. So what we're saying is when there's space, when there's something between you and the person, either you put those things, either you, either you go to a safe space, or you could have simply just waited to make a better assessment. Because I'm sure if that officer knew that he did not have a weapon, he would not have shot him. But his training said, go around and make a split-second decision and do something. And that's what he did. As opposed to slow down, wait a minute, you're in a safe space, you'll be able to see whether he has a weapon or not, and then you can make a better decision. Because you can't undo that decision. Once you shoot that gun, uh, you can't bring the guy back. Yeah, and as teachers, I mean, we have constant professional development, we have constant training, and so that, that is one angle that we've been discussing a lot 
is the training and making that something that's mandatory where police officers are seen as you know protectors of the community not as warriors or soldiers that they're really there to be peacekeepers and to protect the community um, so I'm, I'm glad that training is going to be addressed um, what, what are some other important uh, components of the bill um, that, that you think will help protect our communities well listen uh, most officers come to work every day and are dedicated to doing a good job for the citizens. But there are some, to be quite frank, I mean, there's, there are some that have uh, run afoul, they've, they've made some terrible decisions in the past, and when a police, when a police department other than our own bring an officer up charges, or getting ready to bring him up on charges, or getting ready to fire that person, and that person um, resigns or retires, we cannot hire that person. This bill will stop us from hiring somebody who has had uh, a, a cloudy background, especially as it relates, relates to misconduct and use of force. So you, I'm sure you've heard of police officers getting in trouble and then they resign then they go two counties over for the next state and they get a job as being a police officer. And then at some point they do the same thing again. And then people say, how in the world did that person get hired? So there's a lot of work on setting up databases at the federal level. There's going to be all sorts of work about trying to identify these people. But I just took the approach that here in Baltimore County, I don't care how you get the information, whether you do a background check or what you do, we're not going to hire you. So uh, that's one of the things in the bill. The other uh, part of the bill is requiring officers to intervene and stop another officer from using unnecessary force. I think that that part of the bill is important as well uh, because, and by the way, the first part about officers not being hired because of you know misconduct at a prior department, all of this ties together. The next part is telling us, or, or we're telling an officer they have to intervene when another officer is using unnecessary force. And then we turn around and provide whistleblower protection for the officer who does intervene. Because what I have been told by some officers are that in some cases, when officers did intervene, they end up running afoul of the policies of another department and they end up letting that officer go. Not the one that was doing the unnecessary force, but the officer who intervened. So uh, that part of the bill is an important part. I think it's important for public safety. The other part of the bill is requiring that civilians be on the police review board. When it's, on a, on a police review board, because we should have some citizen sitting there being able to represent the interests of the citizen. The problem we have, so many times I look at videos and I see something that is obvious to me. I mean, it's as obvious as the nose of my face and I'm thinking, is this the type of behavior we want? Yet, the department will come back and say the use of force was justified. And I'm thinking justified, 
somebody should receive a reprimand and told not to do it again. But if the department says the use of force is justified, then you've told that officer it's okay, and you've told every other officer in the department that what happened was okay. And that's just the reason, in my opinion, why we are here today. Because the departments have not been able to police themselves. They have drifted to a place where what the public sees is not lining up. We don't. We think that behavior is unnecessary. Um, now I have a, a a situation here that I guess want to show you, if I can find it real fast, because I think it's important. I'm going to show you a picture. This is the kind of thing I'm talking about. If you notice, that is a 14-year-old girl being pinned down to the floor with a knee on her neck in the middle of a cafeteria in a Baltimore County public school while other kids are in the cafeteria. Now, this young girl didn't have a weapon. This young girl wasn't being violent. But all she had to do was not obey the police, and that was the behavior she received. And then the police department says, that's okay. That behavior, this behavior, let me see if I can get it right here. This behavior, that is okay to do to a child in a school in the middle of a cafeteria with other kids. So then you say, if you care about police relations with the community, what do you think all those other kids, never mind the one who just got hurt, what do you think about all those other kids? What do you think they think about the police after that? All the pal centers in the world is not going to change their mind. They are afraid of the police. They don't like the police after an incident like that in front of them. And I'm saying, is there a better way? Like, if you have two officers there, she's 14 years old, you couldn't take her by her arms and take her out of the room? I mean, you had to do that in front of these other folks, in front of the kids? I mean, it, it, shouldn't there be a difference between a 14-year-old girl and some violent felon? Shouldn't they be treated differently? I'm not sure they are. I, I'm not sure if they are with their training. So it goes back to training and it goes back to accountability. And I know as educators, if given the, you know, the example that you used with a police officer essentially assaulting a 14-year-old girl in the cafeteria, you know, as educators, we are mandated reporters of abuse. If I were to see that, it would be my job. I feel it's my duty. This is my own opinion. This is just me talking, being local and immediate. I feel like I would need to tell somebody about that. That is abuse. And so I guess the question is, how, are, how does this bill hold police officers accountable? And I think the worry is, are police officers or police departments still holding themselves accountable? And we know the history of that does improve positive results for our communities. Well, I think the way this would hold them accountable is that, uh, number one, there are steps in the law that they should take before they uh, resort to physical violence. So then you would have to look and see that they do that. Now, to be quite frank, there's a lot of policies and procedures in the department. And they just, in, in a lot of cases, and in many cases that we look at, it appears as though they're not following those procedures. 
and then there's no one to say that you did not follow the correct procedure. So then we end up with situations where the public says, wait a minute, you know, like, how does that happen, right? Like, how, how, how does that happen? And I think if the police did a better job of policing themselves, because that's, that's who police the police, right? If they did a better job of policing themselves, we would not be here at this juncture in time in this country. But unfortunately, this is where we are because, I mean, if you came to me maybe a year ago or two years ago and you said something about the police policies and procedures, I would have been quick to say, well, I'm not so crazy about them and I'm not an expert, talk to them. My job is to give them funding. But now I'm thinking, I don't think they're capable of making these changes by themselves. I don't think when I look back at all the people that have been harmed or killed at the hands of police, people that are unarmed, people that committed misdemeanors or no crime at all, and you say, man, all of this happened, and I remember the marches, by Chris Brown, I remember people crying out. And I mean, even today, as I sit here today, there are officers, some that think, who are you to tell us what to do? You know, they, they, they get so defensive. You know, why, why is everybody picking on us? Well, because there's room for improvement and you should be welcoming the help versus being defensive. I agree. The history of the police policing themselves has not been one that uh, that we all would would think is a good idea. I mean, they just have not been up to the task. Um, on the, on a related note, I guess um, I was thinking about the officer. Let me see, Danielle Moore, right? I like to congratulate her. She is the National School Resource Officer of the Year from Overly High School. I saw a very nice story on her, and we will be reaching out to congratulate her also. But it was very impressive. The young lady, her spirit, and I heard them interview her. And, you know, she's one of the ones doing a great job. So I had one of my colleagues say to me, we need more stories like that. I said, it's not about the story. The story follows the people. We need more officers like that. If we have more officers like that, we'll have more stories like that. If we have more officers putting their foot on kids' necks, we're gonna get negative stories. So if we have officers shooting unarmed people, we're gonna get negative stories. So we have to make sure that we truly have the best police department we can have. And the only way you're gonna do that is to say, hey, you can do better in this area right here, whether they want to or not. And last question that I have, then we'll open it up to the group, is you mentioned that we're in the home stretch and we're going to vote soon. Is this something that is supported by the council? Where, where do you think this is, is going? Are, is it the support apprehensive or do you feel like there is large support public and also on the council side? I think there's large support from the public. I don't think I have large support from the council at this time. 
I would feel much better if I had uh, four or five co-sponsors, but I do not. Uh, and I know that people are, you know, the forces are coming after the bill and trying to figure out every reason why it can't happen. You know, I find it interesting. Let me just say this one part. I'm not sure if your listeners know about the Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights. The Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights is a law that was passed at the General Assembly that dictates certain protections for police officers. Those protections cannot be breached by Baltimore County. We pay the officer's salary, we pay for their pension, they work for us, but we cannot breach this Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights that dictate what happened with them in discipline, that dictate certain parts of their job. So I find it very ironic when certain people say to me, well, why can't your bill be a resolution? Because a resolution doesn't have the full of force and effect of law. A resolution is just us saying, we think this is a good thing. I said to them, well, why don't you have the law enforcement officer bill of rights be a resolution? That law protects you from the citizens of Baltimore County and the government in case of uh, you feel like you're being mistreated. Why shouldn't the citizens of Baltimore County have a law to protect them from police officers who may not be behaving well? So that's why it's important that we have a law as opposed to just a policy change. Policies and procedures can change like that. A law is a much more public process and you cannot change that so easily. So, you know, it's important right now that we put the pressure on. That's why I'm, that's why I'm here to say, if you think that this kind of protection is necessary, then I need you to step up and be heard. Uh, I was so proud of all the people all across Baltimore County and across this country marching. I've attended so many marches and uh, I'm, I'm just proud of the people putting it together. They're making their voices heard. They're demanding change. The point I would make is when change is on the way, in other words, when an elected official have heard your call and put forth the change, then it's time for us to put forth the effort and make sure that that happens. Because believe me, this is my honest opinion. If it's not for tremendous public support and outcry, this bill will fail. That's what I'm here to tell you. If people step up and speak up and let these elected officials, my colleagues know that this is something you support and this is something you're very serious about and you're taking note and uh, then it will pass. Because I've had a few colleagues say, well, let's just wait until the work session. In other words, let me, let me figure this thing out here before I do anything. So, I mean, that's where we are. And I hear you loud and clear, and I, that's why I'm glad you are here to get the word out on Pen Talk. And so we have some participants here with us tonight that have some questions for you. Um, Hillary. Yes. Um, Councilman, I have a very important question. I have a special education background here in the county. And something I think that's come up in the media is people with different neurocognitive challenges having confrontations with police and their reactions 
that are simply part of their makeup and their neurocognitive profiles getting them fatally in trouble? Um, you know, is there any other part of your bill in addition to that mental health um, access that the police can access as mental health professional resources that might address this? Well, I, I, I am hopeful, I am hopeful that by slowing down the use of force, by just slowing that down, it will give officers on the street an opportunity to make a better assessment so that they don't end up choking a person with Down syndrome whose only crime is to try to see a movie again. Uh, that, that, we don't, that we don't do that. Like that behavior become unusual as opposed to the norm. That, that's the idea. Now, on a related note, I think you're going to be hearing something soon. I've been uh, figuring out how to do it. There's only so much I can do as a uh, legislator, but I've been working on an issue with, you know, the police have mobile crisis units. A mobile crisis unit is a police officer teamed up with a clinician who is a licensed practical social worker or some type of psychiatrist. Uh, and they wear a polo shirt, black khaki pants, and they have an unmarked car. And they respond to calls from the mobile crisis that people can dial on a, on a 24 hour crisis line or when another police officer call for them or when they're dispatched. The problem is we only have two of those cars on the street. Two of Baltimore County. So their jobs is to become a diversionary unit. In other words, instead of having to take somebody to the hospital for a psychiatric evaluation, that we can, uh, uh, they can do it themselves and not send them there. If a person has some crisis and they end up injuring a relative or something like that, don't charge them with a crime and take them to jail. You know, they can deal with those issues and they have a lot of resources at their disposal and you have the protection of having an, uh, you know, another police officer with them just in case things turn violent. I am working and I've been, I'm working with the county executive and we're going to see if we can increase the resources there to get more of those cars on the street uh, because I think that's very much necessary. And the police officers love their service that they provide, the regular police, because if you take a person to a hospital for a psychiatric evaluation, that officer ends up sitting in that hospital for a couple of hours with that patient until they're able to deal with them. Whereas this unit, well, if they have to take in the hospital, they will, but in most cases, they don't have to take somebody to the hospital. They can make assessment, get the person the resources that they need. So uh, I'm very excited about that. You know, you heard it here first that you're going to hear, you're going to hear more about that in the coming weeks. Sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the question because it is important. And uh, like I said, you know, the idea is gets to slow down that use of violence so that people don't get hurt. Um, hi, Councilman Jones. I first of all, is Kathy Bevins supportive of this? I emailed her and I never received anything. She is my representative. I have not received a firm confirmation from Kathy Bevins that she's supportive, nor okay. have I received anything to say she's not. 
Okay, I'll, I'll email her again. So my question is, um, when you were speaking um, earlier, you were talking about um, officers who had had some uh, type of termination or resignation not being um, hired, but that is not actually 100% what the bill says. On page four, um, lines seven through 12 address that, and it does say that a person who has previously been employed as a police officer with a department or in another jurisdiction or agency and has had their employment terminated or has resigned in connection with a pending or sustained disciplinary proceedings shall be ineligible for hire as a police officer unless the person's application has been reviewed and approved by the chief of police. Right, that's why I was saying earlier, and I apologize if I didn't mention that part. That's why I said earlier, all of these things come together. Because when I crowdsourced this bill, I had a couple of officers, when I, when I talked to like 15 officers from all different ranks, and I hear the same thing from people that are unrelated, don't even know I'm talking to each other. And they said, well, you know, there's some good officers out there that end up breaking their department policies because they're doing the right thing. And they get fired. And then we're not going to hire them. So that's when I thought, hmm, well, if such a person comes along, we would want to hire them. And that's how we ended up with the whistleblower protection to say that the whistleblower would, uh, we would provide whistleblower protection for any officer that in our department who steps up. And, and that I, we would- I understand that, but that having this statement this broad, I mean, if, if you are going to make, there has to be some type of guidance then for the chief of police because, you know, that doesn't, this is so vague that, I mean, this gives the chief of police a lot of power. And in education, we call it passing the lemon. And lemons get passed from school to school to school to school to torment and affect the education of children. And this happens in the police force also. So this, if, if the chief of police is going to have that, there need to be some really tight parameters around this, um, this component. Well, I tell you, um, I, I appreciate your comments. I understand uh, we thought that if a police chief is willing to sign off on such a person, then they're basically putting themselves on the line with that decision. And I guess we didn't go down the line to put out specific parameters on you know, what conditions, terms, you know, the police chief can use to make the decision. We put that in there only because we were thinking about the person that does the right thing and end up being fired from another jurisdiction or forced to resign. I promise this is the last thing I'll say, Brendan. But the thing is, is a, a, a chief of police is a political position. And I'm sorry, but it, political positions are often corrupt. Look at Baltimore City. Just because, I mean, I live a mile from Baltimore City. Just because there's this little border around does not mean that Baltimore County is immune from corruption in the police force. And that's all I'm going to say. Well, I mean, listen, I appreciate it very much. And 
you know, one of the other amendments that we made on the bill, I'm not sure if you can hear me or not. Looks like, my, okay. One of the other amendments that you're gonna hear on the bill that uh, I had a lot of groups say, we don't like the idea of the police chief picking the civilians. Now, in the beginning, we thought that that was the law, at least that was my interpretation, because that is spelled out and identified by the Law Enforcement Officer Bill of Rights. But then after further review, we found out that no, the police chief don't have to be the person to select those civilians. So we're gonna amend the bill to take that right away from the police chief and give it to uh, the county council. Great. Hey. Good to see you again, Mr. Jones. I'm oh, glad you're able to join us. Um, I just have a question, some clarity on, uh, I know that the individual officers may or may not support the bill, but is there one unified voice, uh, perhaps from one of the police unions that is speaking for the officers? Um, I'm a little confused about how many police unions there are in the first place. Uh, <laughs> It's just one, okay, just one. And they're speaking, um, are, they, are they actually speaking against or for this bill or do they have a voice in help, helping the form um, what's in the bill? Okay, so there's only one bargaining unit okay. and that bargaining unit is the Fraternal Order of Police. Now, there's other groups in the police department. There's a woman's group, there's a retiree group, there's an African-American group, uh, there's different groups in the department that, you know, I've sent this bill to everyone and I've been talking to the FOP uh, president for probably over four hours during the, this whole course throughout uh, a couple of phone calls. My guess is that they will oppose the bill um, only because I've asked for recommendations and suggestions on what, what exactly your specific concerns and I haven't gotten them. So my, my guess is they will oppose the bill. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it just is what it is, right? People don't want uh, oversight and, and, and that's what it is. And it, and it seems like every time there's something like this on the table, the police unions really never want community input. The people that are paying the salaries that are um, that they're supposed to protect and serve. Um, why is it so hard for them to understand that we want input and in how they are doing things in our county? Well, I didn't expect you to answer that one though. But go ahead. <laughs> I think he's frozen. Okay, so we'll wait for Councilman Jones to rejoin us. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Brendan? Go ahead, if you wanted to respond. Oh, no, 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 I was just saying that, you know, I, I can't speak for the police officers, but, you know, some of them feel defensive with people trying to tell them how to do the job, and some of them feel like, you know, who are we to tell them how to do the job when, when we don't know? but you are 150% correct. We are paying for this service. We, the people, have a right to tell, to tell people how we want a service to be performed. I had a person ask me one time, you know, you know, are you a police officer? I said, no. Have you ever been a police officer? I said, no. 
So then the person said, well, I am a police officer. What makes you think you have a right to tell me how to do my job? I said, because the citizens of Baltimore County pay for the police department. They pay for all the government. And when they come to me and say, I don't like this, then it's incumbent upon me to tell you we don't like it and we want it to change. And you can't just try to, you know, think that you're above the citizens, that somehow the citizens who pay for the department should not have a say in what's going on. Um, and if there's some honest, uh, open dialogue in terms of why something has to be, then educate us. Tell us why it's necessary to choke that young girl in the middle of a cafeteria. Tell her why is it necessary that a kid at Whitlawn is sitting on the curb and because he don't want you to put handcuffs on him, you should jump on him and start punching him in the face, two police officers. Tell me why is that necessary? But, you know, I haven't heard that so far. Will, you had a question. Okay, this is like my first time using Zoom. I'm terrible with this. Uh, <laughs> it's good to finally talk to you, Representative Jones. Um, oh, before, I, before I get into my question, I just wanted to read something off very quickly. Uh, it's regarding the question, of course. Um, just one moment. I'm sorry, I closed my tab because I am a disorganized person. Um, <laughs> Uh, all right, so it, according to Baltimore County uh, government website, you've been two-term, uh, looks like two-term councilman, you've been on yeah. since it looks like 2014. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to lead, read something really quick uh, here. <coughs> Edward Donald Bright, Jason C. Hendricks, Spencer McCain, Keith McLeod, Jeffrey Evans, Corin Gaines, Otis Colvin, Carrie Lee Coomer, Rashad Daquan Ofer, Blaine Erb, Derek Selman, Emmanuel David Oates, Robert, Robert Ull Johnson, Scott William Robinson, Kareem Omar Morgan, Jamal Taylor, Eric Sopp, Michael Marullo, and Robert Johnson Jr. These are all citizens of our district that have been murdered by Baltimore County Police since you took office. It concerns me that it, you said in your own words earlier that it took until last year to realize that there was an issue going on in the county with the police, considering I just read off about 50 people that have been murdered in the time that you were in office. Moving on from that, my question is, how do you think your bill is going to ask the officers to encourage and protect the lives and sanctity of life of any of our citizens when there have been multiple Supreme Court rulings, including, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm checking back because I don't want to mess this up. I want to be sure that I'm accurate with my information. Uh, the 2005 Bell v. Thompson ruling and 2018 Parkland v. Broward County rulings that, sh that said explicitly, Supreme Court rulings, that the police do not have a constitutional duty to protect the citizens that they police. How will your bill, regardless of how many protections you put in place, how will it affect any change if the Supreme Court is going to overrule any reforms you do? How will a lukewarm reform response get anything accomplished that a stronger reform response won't? You say that your colleagues will not support the bill in the current state. Maybe it's because it's not strong enough yet. <laughs> I'm laughing at that. Of course you're laughing. You also told me the other day I can't read. It's not very funny, well, but you do laugh. I, I did not, I did not uh, tell you you couldn't read. We simply said, read the bill. The fact that, so that I is, could not read the bill and should reread the bill. I have the screenshots. I'm happy to provide well, them. I don't want to argue well, about well, it. Well, let the councilman respond to your question. Go ahead, here, here, here's the thing, right? Um, I have to do 
what I can in terms of getting the bill passed. I said that there are stronger things I could have put in there that would have been like poison pills and that would have been the end of it. We are doing everything that I think that I can do. And as I stand here a week before, I'm unable to even promise that I have more than one vote, which is my own. And I may have another that I feel I had a conversation with the other day that I feel like he will vote for it. But I'm doing what I can to get the bill passed. Is this going to be the the end of the world? Like we're going to put this bill through and everything's going to be great and every problem is going to go away? No, I don't think so at all. But I'm doing what I can do. And to be quite frank, Will, to be quite, quite frank, I have six other council members on the council. I have a county executive. And why don't you spend your time trolling them as opposed to standing around beating up on someone who's trying to do something? But instead, you go online and you constantly talking about this bill is nothing. I'm somehow wasting the time of the citizens. I'm somehow, uh, you know, just just, you know, being a terrible person playing some game with the citizen. I'm the guy standing here trying to do something. So there's plenty of people out there that you should be calling them. You should be writing them. You should be on their Facebook page asking them what they're doing. But instead, you're sitting there constantly putting the stuff on my page. And you know what? I'm sorry. I'm a human being. And I get a little frustrated sometimes because I'm doing the best that I can do. I, I, full respect, I'm sorry. Um, you just lied to me in full respect. You just lied to everyone about what happened. You mischaracterized it. I sent an email, you didn't respond. Someone else forwarded my email to you concerning these criticisms that I could read off. I have a long list of subsections of the bill that are weak. But when this criticism was forwarded to you, your response was not to me, but to another member who had forwarded it. And your immediate response was that I, referring to me, the person not in the conversation, could not read it and should reread the bill because I had not been able to read it properly the first time. You did not respond to me. You deleted comments on all your posts. I have been contacting every single council member in this district because this is an issue that matters to me as much as it should matter to you. Every day that you sit here and let these police act the way they do, it gets your hands bloodier. That is my time. Well, I don't think that you know, listen, there are a lot of good officers out here doing a good job. And I support those officers. I just think that there's room for improvement and I'm trying to do my best to, 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 to make those improvements. I just, you know, I do what I can do. And the question right now is, am I going too far already, right? It's a lonely road sometimes when you stand up and decide you're going to take on stuff. You, you don't know how, uh, how tough this is. People are coming at me from all kinds of angles. I really appreciate you giving me an opportunity to talk to your audience, but everybody is not as nice and kind as you are in your audience. Some people say some pretty hideous things. They are very simple-minded in the sense that if you somehow suggest that you can make improvements, then you are somehow against the police and you are somehow anti-police. And that is not the case at all. I support the police, I defend the police, but when police officers are not doing what's in the best interest of the citizens or the police department, I think it's incumbent upon me to stand up and say we can do better. And to be quite frank, in the past, I've put forth 
similar legislation. And when I received a big zero in terms of support, it became clear it wasn't going to go anywhere. And the bill was never put, never saw the light of day. That's just the reality. That's the reality of where I am. When members say to me, don't do this, I'm not going to vote for it and don't put me on the spot. You know, I have a lot of issues that I have to get done for my citizens. And it doesn't do me any good to get at war with the colleagues who votes I need to get things done. And I have to respect their point of view at some point. And that's why we appreciate you coming on so we can talk through some of these issues and actually create meaningful change because a lot of it is talk, whether it's education, whether it's politics, whether it's police, it's a lot of talk and a lot of passion, but rarely do we see meaningful action. And so we appreciate you coming and taking questions from everybody that attends and it's like the show is getting more and more popular and that's a good thing. Um, oh yeah, so oh yeah. Jen, well, you are, Jen, you are next, you had a question. Hi Councilman, um, I just had a question about the early intervention system um, and then how many times an officer would get retraining um, before they were reassigned or potentially let go. Um, and then if, a, enough, if an officer continued to use excess force after the de-escalation trainings, um, are they put back on like a probation period? Do they have to go back into the trainings again? That kind of thing. So I was just curious about that. Uh, again, that's one of those uh, issues where we get so far down the road into the weeds. Uh, we didn't take that approach to try to fix everything. The, uh, the department have somewhat of an, er they have an early intervention system now. What we're trying to do, we tried to put some tweaks on it and we wanted to give it the power of law. By putting these things in this bill, it makes it a law and it guarantees that it should happen or people are violating the law. And that's the, you know, that's the hammer that I have in terms of trying to bring forth some of these changes. So I think, you know, if a person, your point is well taken. And one of the guys explained to me, he said, let me give you an example. He said, uh, I would be flagged all the time because I use a taser a lot of the times, but I'm on a squat team. And the choice often becomes either I use a taser and mobilize somebody and then disarm them, or we shoot that person. And so if you were to guess, look at how many times I'm using this force, I'm the guy that would get flagged all the time because of the use of taser. But in reality, I show up on very, very bad situations. And the taser is the least force that we can use in those situations. So I understand that. But I guess the point I'm making is at some point, we, we're going to have to trust the department to do uh, a good job in terms of flagging people, retraining people. And if that cycle repeats, 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 then we hope that somebody would, uh, you know, make the right decisions. Unfortunately, you bring up an excellent point, but it's not in the bill in terms of how many times a person would have to go through the the, 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 the circuit, if you will, if they are you or flagged for using excessive force. Well, good if, good evening, Representative Jones. Mr. Mr. Jones is my representative on the county council. And so here's my question is, what do you say to some of the Board of Education members who have vehemently voiced their support 
for SROs? And has there been any communication with the leadership in the Office of School Safety and Climate about the bill and the potential impact to their policies and procedures with our SROs and training? Yeah, I, listen, I certainly support the SROs and I uh, don't see, you know, people, you know, sometimes people bring up these things to try to work people up. You know, at some point there were people out there somehow trying to imply that there were people trying to get rid of SROs and they would defend them to the end. I haven't heard anybody trying to get rid of an SRO uh, here in Baltimore County, I should say. I don't think that this bill really gets into the training per se for an SRO, except that just like any other officer, the goal is to reduce violence. And I don't, and I'm hopeful, even the picture that I showed you of the, of the young lady with the knee on her neck, that was not done by an SRO. That was done by other officers that were called to the school. Uh, but the bill doesn't get into any specific training for SROs. And that, and that was something I think, yeah, I'll jump in just for a second. Uh, and I, that speaks to Vernon's question where we've had Officer Don Bridges, who was the president of the National SRO Association. And he was saying that there is specific training for SROs that is 40 hours of training that you know teaches them to be de-escalation de techniques. And he you know made the comparison to someone that goes on the SWAT team. They get specialized training for that. The, the department training is not enough. Same thing for SROs but that is still a county state decision and that SROs in Baltimore County may not be getting that training. Is that something that the county can sort of adopt this national SRO training um, that, that has much more extensive training if we still wanna continue that, if we still continue the SRO program in our schools? Yeah, I've talked to uh, Officer Bridges before and it's certainly something that, you know, I'll continue to work with him and we can try our best to advocate for that as well, just like I'm advocating for the uh, mobile crisis unit. Uh, right now, it's like this bill is consuming me and all my time, and I'm working as sort I, I do things. I multitask okay. I'm a good multitasker because I have to, but clearly I'm also a hurdle jumper. I have to get over one thing at a time just because it takes so much energy try to make things move. And we have two more questions for you. Laura, you had a question. Um, I was just, and I think I kind of heard bits and pieces of this um, answer, but I'm wondering, like, as educators, we despise, we really, really despise when people like uh, DeVos makes policy for us basically because she has no training in education um, and she just doesn't know anything about it and what's going on so I'm wondering thinking about myself as I if I were a police officer the same thing did you include any police officers when you were creating this to kind of get the perspective of someone who does have like knowledge of policing and what is going on um, and I mean, I, I am, I think it's far to like that we need police reform. I'm for that. I, you know, I've marched for Black Lives Matter. Like, 
I'm just wondering, like, if we're really going to get support, did we include those kinds of those people when you were creating this? Called crowdsourcing, like 15 officers uh, at various ranks. Can you hear me, Brendan? Yes. Okay, yeah. So I did do some crowdsourcing with like 15 officers. We made uh, changes along the way. They were at various ranks and we made changes. We took things out. Uh, we added things. So yes, I have been talking to the officers and they support the bill. And I even, I even did some cold calls where I guess it was actually by mistake that I reached out to someone and someone else called me back and I was able to say, what do you think? And that officer supported every letter of the bill. So matter of fact, that officer said the only people that would have an issue with the bill are the people who, who don't think that they can do what's there now or are not doing it right now. He said, because everything in that bill is what I do today. And uh, so those things were encouraging to me. I understand, uh, I believe me, I understand how people may feel that way. But we as society, when we look at a knee on the neck of a 14-year-old girl, you know, I'm waiting for someone to tell me why that was necessary. When there was, in my opinion, other things to do. When I look at a kid on the curb at Woodlawn High, and because he don't, it, by the way, he was a peacemaker. He wasn't a troublemaker. He, he broke up a fight. But as a result, because he don't understand why the officer went to put the cuffs on him, he ends up getting beat up. And I'm just thinking, well, what if they slowed down and said, okay, stop. Son, call your parents. I want to talk to your parents, and I want to explain to them what's going on so that they can explain to you to comply with my wishes. I had one of the officers tell me, well, I got a better one for you, Councilman. He's a minor. He don't even have to put handcuffs on him. We don't have to take him to the jail. We could simply make sure he don't have a weapon, put him in the back of the car, drive him home to his parents and have them sign for him. But sometimes, sometimes that, that, that option is not for certain kids. Sometimes that option is for others. Or maybe they do it, maybe they don't, I don't know, but, uh, you know, I'm open, you know, defend what you're doing and tell me why it's a good idea. Maybe I just don't understand. No, I just think that, I'm sorry, Brendan. I just think that having um, the officers and other, others um, will give a little bit more buy-in into the bill and hopefully will we'll add to the support. So that's what I was curious about. But I appreciate yeah, that you, you reached out to them, and I think that's a great idea. I reached out to pretty much everyone. I sent this bill to everybody in the department, all the organizations. Look at it. Tell me what you think. I reached out for, you know, close to a month ago to the Fraternal Order of Police. Here it is. Tell me what you think. Write some things down, what you object to. Let's discuss it. And, you know, so this is where we are today. Lindsay, you had a question. Yes. So um, my question is basically, if you already think this bill is highly unlikely to pass and needs constituent support in order to pass, 
why not add the further measures people such as me and many others I've seen have been trying to ask you to include. And I'm not just referring to this call specifically, but I'm in the BLM and the VIL group. And I and several others were um, offering criticism and you either didn't reply or were very dismissive. And I'm just curious, why not include these things? I mean, the reason that you gave earlier is that it's already unlikely to pass pushing harder. It would make it even more unlikely, but if the constituents are needed and the constituents are the ones asking for these things, why not grant those requests? Well, I, uh, first of all, I'm not sure specifically uh, what parts you're, you're referring to. Um, I am very hopeful. You know, I'm a, I'm a true optimist. I always believe I can do it. And I'm working very hard to do it. Uh, I gave you the truth in terms of where we are, but I'm an optimist. I, I believe that in the end, I'm going, once the people give their testimony, uh, once we flush some of these things out, I'm hopeful that people are going to vote for the bill. Now, I'm not sure specifically what, what you would want to be added to the bill or changed. Um. Well, I said this in my response that you ignored. Um, I believe that the language in general only expresses the council's position towards police violence instead of actually doing anything actionable to address it. There are measures in there that codify existing policies, but as people have been saying already in this discussion, those policies have so many loopholes. It's so vague, the language, that it's still so easy to get around these rules. It's not doing anything actually controlling or holding police accountable. It's just saying, hey, we think the police should be held accountable and not actually doing that. Um, I really think that the idea that I believe you mentioned earlier about having a citizen council to monitor the police and hold them accountable would be a good idea. Um, Chicago is doing something similar. Um, I think that giving the police some more money and funding is obviously a response that you would get from the police union. Um, but many citizens I've been talking to as I go to actions have been expressing um, dislike for that. Sorry, I was blanking on the word. Um, they have been saying that a lot of people who are veterans in the movement, as you can probably tell from, the, from my voice, I'm quite young but people who have been in this movement for a much longer time than me have been saying that defunding is something that needs to happen and it's the only way that change happens. And this bill only wants to further police funding. Um, again, this is stuff that people in the group tried to express and these things were all dismissed. Well, I, I, I'm not sure whether or not they were dismissed. Uh, you know, for example, the bill requires uh, them to do more reporting on uses of force and identify where the use of forces happen and who's doing it and the race and the gender and all of those things. And someone said, will that result in more funding for the police? Well, if they need more money to do what we're asking them to do, you know, I don't think they would need more money to do that reporting. But uh, if it if it requires more money, then I mean, you know, either you either you focus on the mission and what you want done, or you focus on just a dollar amount. For example, well, is, sorry, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, well, this is exactly the problem is that having the police be recorded and monitored seems like a great idea. However, we know that the police are doing these things. It's not a question of whether or not these things are happening. It's that these things are happening and they need to come to a stop. Monitoring them doesn't do anything to actually stop these things from happening because as we've seen in places that have body cams, police just continue to be violent anyway. We're seeing in these protests, for example, Portland, these disgraceful acts of police brutality. And even though these things are recorded, police keep on doing them. Even when we know officers' names, they keep committing acts of brutality. Monitoring doesn't actually do anything to stop brutality from happening. Only accountability and defunding is going to do that. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you um, the change has to come, have to be demanded by the citizens. I'm a citizen. Well, I, I, believe me, I, I understand. <laughs> my, 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 point, my point is there has to be a critical mass of people demanding change. And we've seen an unprecedented request for change across the country and in our county. And there are legislators that are standing up, hearing you, doing something, and then there are some that are not. So, you know, we, we, we doing, I'm doing what I think I can do. When I talked about the mobile crisis unit, for example, I think we all would agree that we need more of them. No, because they are the ones who killed Jamal Taylor. We don't need more police in the streets that are capable of killing people. We don't need, I mean, this is literally the unit that killed a child. And you're saying that we need more of these murderers on the streets to prevent murders? That's so, it just doesn't make any sense. Well, you know, I hear your concern. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, it would be nice if we had a lot more social workers. It would be nice if we had a lot more other resources that are available to people 24-7. But right now, when people dial 911 at 2 o'clock in the morning, the only services right now that are available are the police and the fire department. See, that's the problem, is if we defund police and give those funds to social workers, then people wouldn't be having to call police to help them with their social issue. Well, I, I understand your point. Um, however, that's just not where we are today. And clearly, we can work harder to get more social workers. We can work harder to add a lot of other resources to county government. But right now, today, um, and, and to be quite frank, I mean, I, I don't know all the details of the, of, the, of the case you talked about, but I see the mobile crisis unit as really being a good thing in terms of having a, a, a social worker there, as well as a police officer, unmarked, uh, no uniforms per se, to try to de-escalate situations. Now, you know, will things go wrong sometimes? I'm sure they will. Um, but like I said, none of this is a, a perfect 100% science, right? But we do have many studies that show that the fewer police there are, the less crime there is. There's a direct 
correlation between an increase in officers and an increase in crime. And I know there are many reasons for statistics like that, but it's something that, again, activists, people who have been involved in this issue for a much longer time than I think either of us have really, um, they've been saying this over and over and over again. We have been seeing it in action on the rare occasions where this change actually happens. We know that this is what works and you're basically the county's best hope. You're our elected official. Um, if you don't have the power to make this change, to change the status quo, the things how they are, then who's going to do that? You are the one who has this bill that you're writing, that you're trying to put forward. Why not be open to taking these criticisms from your constituents that are trying to say that there are more effective things that you could be doing? Well, you know, I believe me, like I said earlier, there are a lot of other things I could do or put in the bill but I'm one council person and I need to vote the support of three others to do anything. And then I need the county executive to pass it. And um, some of these things are, are not easy. So, you know, I, I try not to make the cart too heavy. And as it relates to the mobile crisis unit, things of that nature, I mean, I think that I personally think that that is the right mix that you send a social worker out with a police officer. You have it toned down in terms of them not wearing a regular police uniform. I think that's the right mix. Um, and I understand everything you said. I've done a lot of reading on it. But there are times when things, you know, there are times when people that are in crisis become violent and do things. And I think at those times, you would want to have the police there. But there are plenty of workers who interact with violent people and don't kill those people. Um, you don't always need a police officer, especially if somebody is in a vulnerable situation. They don't need a gun, they need help. Um, there are many ways to de-escalate. Um, and it's something that, to my knowledge, officers are already being trained on and they just don't do it. They have the option of force, and so they take that option. Um, it seems to me, um, I just realized I've been taking up a lot of time with my question. Um, it seems we're kind of going in circles with our argument, but I hope that you consider the things that I had to say. Thank you. Well, number one, I, 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 I certainly will consider it. And I would urge you to uh, take that argument to the county executive. Take that argument to other elected officials. Take it to that argument to folks at the state level. I mean, because I think at, at certain places, uh, people, for example, the county executive will have has a lot more power than I, where he can implement things like that if he so chooses. Did we lose the councilman? Can you, can you still hear us? So items is things that have to that have to basically come from uh, the uh, the the executive branch. All right. So we we missed part of that answer. Our connection is is getting a little poor, and so 
we'll, we'll okay. wrap up. I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, Miss McBride, you have one last comment before we wrap up this episode. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Brendan. I apologize for this frozen picture, but I'm not looking my best this evening. That's okay. Didn't want to scare anyone. <laughs> okay, we're just glad you're here with us. Well, what's on your mind this evening? I want to thank Councilman Jones for, for all his effort that he is putting forth. I know it's a difficult thing. I just wanted to add that I think that we really should consider um, the uh, chief of police and his authority and his power, as well as the state's attorney's office. I think that that's where the injustice uh, begins, since it appears as if they're the ones that's making the rulings on whether the police are, uh, rights are being protected or not, and um, whether it's okay for them to use the force that they need. Um, and I think that that's where we're gonna really affect change, but we have to start somewhere. And uh, I think that with this bill though, we could maybe put a little bit more of who's the police not policing themselves in this, because I don't believe it's gonna work, you know? And um, having the police to um, come forward, I don't think you're gonna be able to penetrate that, that blue line. I don't think they're gonna come and say, well, I saw so-and-so do something and stand up against one another. But um, I think the real change will come though, if we can do something um, uh, for that, um, to get that chief of police and that state's attorney under control. The other thing I find is that people are willing to participate, but if they have to write up the letter, they're not gonna do it. So are there any letters, you know, that um, maybe a pre-written that I can send out and say, just just add your name to this and uh, send it through so that we can get the support. Is, would that be a way, you know, something that we could do? Yes, we can. Uh, I, I think we should have something like that somewhere because I agree with you, number one. I agree with uh, that we need a form letter because people were very easy to guess add their name to it, like you said, and cut and paste and add your name and cut and paste their emails and send it on. And <laughs> yes. that, 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 that works. Uh, so that, number one, I agree with that. And if we don't have it, I'll make sure we'll get one by tomorrow. Uh, even there's groups out there that, that, that are giving. Okay. And then Trevor, you had a, Trevor, you wanted to hop on for a second. Uh, yes, can you hear me? We can hear you. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Known to the, <laughs> known to the uh, county executive. But number two, the state's attorney is elected. The state's attorney is elected. And you can certainly let him know your concerns when he is not doing what you think he should. And then, uh, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's what I can tell you. But I understand your point and I get it. I get it. When, when an officer is not doing, when something happens, the first thing happens, the state's attorney has to decide whether or not charges are filed or not. Um, so I, I understand. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Listen, I, I appreciate the comment. I appreciate the question. I think you're spot on in terms of uh, accountability. And, you know, like I said, uh, the chief of police works for the county executive and uh, or they report to the county executive. They work should be working for the citizens and the state's attorney is an elected position. Thank you. Thank you for the guidance. <laughs> Thank you so much. Trevor, you want to hop in? Yeah, I just uh, I just kind of wanted to uh, echo uh, the, the councilman's message on just, just a few things. So um, there is a lot of things, like the councilman said, that, that can be pushed into the bill. Um, however, the reality is that if we have council colleagues that we're, we're already struggling to get their support, like he said, we don't want the wagon to bust down and then we can't even get a bill through or a bill voted on and then absolutely nothing happens. I think that if this bill goes past, goes through, and it will, in my, in my honest opinion, I think it will, I don't think this is going to be the end of this discussion. Um, and I think that's kind of the, I think mean, that's sort of a misconception is kind of being sort of, uh, sort of assumed, but that's, that's not, this is not the end all be all. Again, we have the Baltimore County from my own personal perspective is a very conservative county. So when you have a councilman that's pretty progressive in, in introducing things that probably haven't been seen or done for millenniums, it can be very offsetting to people. However, like the councilman said, we've been working on this thing for over a month now. Um, and it's very, very important that, again, the communication is this bill is not an anti-police bill. And again, this bill is the step into the right direction. There have some, been some situations out here, like I've, I've heard somebody said earlier about the mobile crisis unit, how they killed an individual. But just like I saw in the chat, there are a lot of other situations where the mobile crisis unit did de-escalate the situation and all positive results occurred afterwards. And it was very, very unfortunate that that person got killed. However, again, you know, it's, I kind of I think about the idea of cynicism, where people are so negative and pessimistic about things, and they begin to generalize everything. But the reality is you can't generalize everything. Some things are different. And just like the mobile crisis unit is a great mix to add with the police department, because you need somebody out there, especially when you have situations of a person that have made, had mental challenges or things of that sort. For example, like he mentioned earlier, the Eric Sop situation. According to the mother, she said that he had suicidal thoughts and he had a, little, a couple of mental problems. I actually talked to his mother on the phone. So again, a person of the mobile crisis unit may have been out there to be able to sort of de-escalate that situation. And perhaps Eric Sop would have to get shot four times and then shot four extra times on his way down to the ground. So again, the, the biggest point here is that, hey, we're putting something out there that's gonna, put, that's, gonna, that's gonna give a little bit of change, but that doesn't mean that we're at the end of the road. There's still a long highway that we have to drive up. And that also means too, that we have to continue to apply pressure on our other, on other colleagues so that we get this bill passed and then we move forward. And mind you, the work session is also, again, a discussion where we can add more amendments. And I'm sure there will be other amendments that will be discussed and thought about adding to the bill. So that's kind of my last point, Brent. That's all I wanted to say. But like I said, um, you know, uh, I have the link. I put the link in the group chat if you want to testify. But again, this is a working progress. 
And uh, as we know, these things have occurred for years, but this is a work in progress, especially for what I think a conservative county as Baltimore County is. Thank you, Trevor. And again, if you want to testify during the work session, which is this Tuesday, July 28th, it's at 4 p.m. And you can email the county council at baltimorecountymd.gov. And the vote session will be August 3rd, and that's at 6 p.m. And you can all watch the legislative session, and there'll be links posted on social media. Um, Councilman Jones, we appreciate you supporting Pen Talk and coming in sharing information and taking questions from all citizens and all constituents. We appreciate you. Um, any last words, anything else you want to leave us with? Well, just uh, Brendan, that I appreciate the opportunity to come on and share uh, my thoughts and the bill and what we're doing. And, and I certainly appreciate each and every one who had questions and concerns. Uh, I heard you. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate them. And, I'm, you know, we're doing our best and, and, and that's that. And I hope to get the bill passed. We're here and to support And we can work on these other issues. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to work on them. And th like you said, this is just the first Thank step. You. And so please make your voice heard. And you're always welcome back to Penn Talk. And we'll catch up with you probably in a couple of weeks, maybe in a month to see the progress that we've made so far. So thank you again for joining us.